the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome aboard, friends. Mike Lee here, Director of Local Ministries at True Talk 800. 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, 93.1 El Rey, and the new Talk 1640. And I've got a ticket for you. I really think you're going to find it beneficial. It's free. It's a very short presentation, maybe 40 minutes long or so, and you could win a $3,000 advertising schedule. We've hired a marketing specialist who will share, in part, how to successfully and affordably combine traditional media like radio with new media like social media, online applications, etc. And I've got a limited number of tickets, so just let me know what day and time you want to come, June 22nd or June 23rd. And since we understand how valuable your time is, each business that shows up to our free marketing meeting will receive a $25 gift certificate at a local restaurant Plus, your business could win a $3,000 advertising schedule. All you've got to do is email me for the details at Mike Lee at kpdq.com. That's Mike Lee, M-I-K-E-L-E-E, at kpdq.com. In the studio today, we have Captain Scott Dunphy. He is a captain of the Chaplain Corps of the United States Navy, and he's also a pastor at St. Stephen Lutheran Church in Gladstone. So welcome aboard, Captain Scott. How are you today, sir? I am good. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for coming out today. And give us the big picture. What does it actually take to be considered to be a U.S. Navy chaplain? Well, to be a Navy chaplain uh, requires two endorsements. Uh, first of all, you have to be uh, ordained as uh, a minister in a recognized faith group in the United States, uh, which includes having a Master of Divinity degree, and have the endorsement of your denomination. Uh, then you have to have the endorsement of the United States Navy as well. Uh, so there's an interview process and an application process, uh, and... Uh, and then you go to chaplain school. Uh, you already know how to be a pastor because you're ordained and, and practicing uh, your faith. But you have to learn how to do that in uh, a military environment, a Navy environment. Uh, and by Navy, that includes all the sea services. Navy chaplains serve uh, the Marine Corps and the Coast Guard uh, and a few in the Merchant Marine as well. So you go to school to uh, learn how to be an officer in the United States Navy. So first of all, thank you for your service to this country. You're very welcome. As the son of a man who served in World War II in the U.S. Navy, I fully realize the sacrifices that our servicemen and women have made, as well as their families over the years, and how these things often affect people in good, but also in negative ways. So how long have you been with the Navy, Captain Scott? Uh, I've been in the Navy 22 years now, in the Reserve. And when did you decide to join the U.S. Navy? Well, that was in 1994. Uh, and 
if you want to know the story. Uh, oh, please <laughs> be, share. Sure, be happy to share that with you. Uh, uh, there, there's like an ABC version of the story. Version A is the chaplain recruiter uh, for the West Coast happened to also be a Lutheran pastor, uh, and I was serving in parish in California at the time. And uh, so she became a worshiping member of uh, the community I pastored while she was at uh, recruiting headquarters in Oakland, California. Uh, and we went to one, lunch one day, and, and uh, she's a very good recruiter. Uh, and and uh, uh, I went home from lunch. Uh, uh, well, and this is where the you know the back uh, story B comes in, I guess. Uh, I considered uh, military chaplaincy when I was in college as I approached ordination. Uh, and I got married, uh, before, uh, entering seminary and adopted two children as part of, of that marriage. Uh, and I knew that Navy chaplains, uh, especially those on active duty, uh, deploy more than most of the other services. So I was going to, you know, get married, adopt these kids and go to sea. Uh, they had been abandoned by their birth father already. I felt my calling at the time was to be present in their lives and to be their father. So I gave that up. And then 20-some years later, suddenly uh, I was 39 at the time. Uh, I've got this opportunity to do it again. It's kind of like God uh, says, okay, fine. We'll bring, bring that back later in, in your life when you know th- things are right. Uh, so I went home from that lunch. I told my wife, uh, honey, it's time for my midlife crisis. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, I can blow our life savings on a Mazda Miata convertible. Uh, I can have an affair or I can join the Navy. Which would you prefer? <laughs> and uh, so that, you know, uh, that, that's what we did. So apparently uh, she yeah. avoided the Mazda Miata. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Uh, and, and this was not that long after uh, the first Gulf War as well. And I was certainly feeling, a, a, you know, a, a desire to contribute and, and to support people in some way. And so was this around 91, 92? Yeah, I'm right looking at that. And and, uh, uh, and then in the end, though, I believe like uh, uh, pastoral ministry, it's a calling. Uh, you know, God was calling me to Navy chaplaincy. Uh, what so. a wonderful thing that this was placed in your heart. Captain Scott Dunphy, back when you were in your college years and when you got married and adopted these two beautiful kids, you knew it was not the right time. Mm-hmm. Was that a difficult decision for you to come to? It wasn't huge, but it, but it, it, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was difficult. No. I mean, when you have a sense of where God is leading you, uh, uh, you know, you, you trust. And, and so, uh, but there was a little bit of still this kind of longing, you know, and desire. Uh, I come from a Navy family. My father was in the Navy. My grandfather was in the Navy. Uh, so this is all, old hat to all, you. All Where did you grow up? Uh, well, partly I grew up in uh, uh, Pennsylvania. And then uh, 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 my family moved to Arizona. Big change. And uh, finished uh, my growing up years and my schooling in Arizona. So having a military family, are you used to a lot of moves? Uh, well, uh, most of them had uh, finished their service uh, by the time I was on, on scene. Uh, so not a lot of moving, but uh, uh, I think my family moved for economic reasons more than anything else. But yeah, we moved a lot. 
And how long have you been here in the Pacific Northwest? I've been in the Pacific Northwest since 1999, so 17 years. So you're used to it by now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like an Oregonian. <laughs> and you mentioned that at the time you got married and adopted these two, you knew in your heart it was not the time to become a Navy chaplain. Mm-hmm. Did you consider the possibility that that opportunity might never come back? I pretty much thought it was gone. Uh, I was pretty surprised when uh, uh, this chaplain recruiter told me that at my age, as I said, I was 39, that I could still do it. At that time, the cutoff was 40. Uh, so you never, just never imagined, in. Never imagined that that was an option. Yeah. Well, do you believe that as a result of being a little older at this stage of the game, that you were better equipped to become a U.S. Navy chaplain than you would have been straight out of college before kids? Definitely. Uh, the Navy likes folks to have two to three years minimum of service uh, as a pastor before they come into the chaplaincy. Uh, I had 15 at that point, and I, I, I definitely believe that it made me better prepared. Uh, I call it youth ministry because uh, there I was, 40, and, and you know most of the folks in the Navy that I worked with were 18 to 25 years old. Uh, so in some ways, I was kind of almost a father figure at that point, and certainly now I'm a grandfather figure you know for for those for those younger folks and uh, uh, a lot of uh, folks uh, go into the military because they want to uh, uh, leave uh, situations at home uh, or just leave home period uh, maybe uh, see the world see the world certainly, get out of the hometown but, where they yeah, grew up but but they haven't always dealt with uh, some of the issues of their their family of origin that they may need to tend to, uh, and then they find themselves uh, in situations where they they replicate some of those dynamics, uh, and uh, to have someone who's a little older but really not their dad uh, or their uncle or their grandfather uh, or, or their you know we have women in the chaplain corps as well or you know their mom uh, to be able to go and and talk to that person uh, is a great comfort. And uh, uh, I bet it was somewhat liberating for them because you're not related. Exactly. You were the Navy chaplain. Exactly. There were no strings attached. They right. didn't know you prior to joining the service. Right. Well, and one of the uh, uh, things that's unique about being a Navy chaplain is we uh, are the only uh, people uh, who have uh, uh, can, can give to others uh, the guarantee of confidentiality. Uh, there are exceptions, uh, even in the medical profession, uh, to to you know the physician-patient uh, privilege that you sometimes find in the civilian world, uh, but not when it comes to chaplains. Uh, so it's a unique relationship that, that we have. When you were growing up, Captain Scott Dunphy of the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps, were you the kind that people confided in? Did you find that you had any experience growing up or you were a good listening ear? I think so, yes. Uh, uh, I grew up in a uh, dysfunctional family. Both my parents had alcohol problems. Uh, they eventually uh, found themselves in, in recovery when I was an adult and gave permission to talk about this as well so we're not uh, violating anybody's anonymity. And My father has, has passed on since then. 
but uh, uh, as the oldest of four children in that kind of environment, uh, uh, you know, I, I probably went a little overboard in terms of, of being uh, uh, in charge and being a caretaker. Uh, so you have to learn to balance that. But but it also prepares you well for uh, yeah, listening. Balance is a good concept that we're going to continue with as we interview Captain Scott Dunphy of the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. He is also a pastor at St. Stephen Lutheran Church that's just east of Mods, uh, Mazda of Gladstone on McLaughlin in Gladstone. If you'd like to contact the church, they have traditional services Sundays at 9 a.m. and a contemporary service at 11.15 a.m. on Sundays. We're going to find out more about... Captain Scott, his church, and the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps next right here on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Welcome back to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. I'm Mike Lee here, and Captain Scott Dunphy is serving in the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps in addition to being a pastor at St. Stephen Lutheran Church in Gladstone. And you can find out more about the Navy Chaplain Program at the website Navy.com slash chaplain. That's Navy.com slash chaplain. So, Captain Scott, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. You were sharing about your experiences and your upbringing. So, where did you go to school before you eventually became a pastor and a captain in the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps? Well, I did my undergraduate work at the University of Arizona in Tucson. I had a major in philosophy and sociology. Uh, and I went to seminary uh, at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, which is in Berkeley, California. Great place. It's part of something called the Theological Union, Graduate Theological Union. Nine different seminaries, all different denominations. So we would take our, our core courses from our own seminary, but then we got to take electives from other seminaries. Uh, and so it was a wonderful ecumenical uh, interfaith kind of experience. Uh, and then I eventually did go back to one of those schools, uh, the Presbyterian School, even though I'm a Lutheran, uh, San Francisco Theological Seminary, to get my doctorate uh, some years later. So that's my, my schooling background. Did you enjoy the California experience? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I have loved every place I have lived. Uh, I think it's more about the people uh, than anything else and the relationship, certainly. Uh, but there's beauty in the desert in Arizona. Uh, there's uh, certainly tons of beautiful places in, in Northern California. Love Yosemite. Uh, but Oregon is paradise. <laughs> and, and, and this is you know, my favorite place at this point and intend to retire here and, and, and never leave. Well, you so, seem to be a good uh, fit for the Pacific Northwest, Captain Scott Dunphy. You mentioned earlier on that you grew up in a heavily favored Navy family. Can you tell us where faith came into play for you personally? Were your parents card-carrying, church-going Christians, yes. or did that come later on? No, they were. They were. Uh, in fact, uh, I grew up in a little, uh, first part of my life anyway, uh, uh, earliest church memories, uh, a, a little town in Pennsylvania called Boiling Springs. It's a Harrisburg suburb, and you know, classic little eastern, east coast, you know, village actually. Uh, and we lived right across the street from the church, uh, the Lutheran church. And, you know, my dad was a Sunday school teacher. My mom sang in the choir. Uh, they were very active, uh, faith members. And I, I really got my faith 
you know, from them in that sense, in terms of them planting the seeds and nurturing and encouraging us. And despite their struggles with alcohol, uh, uh, or maybe because of them, you know, they never left the church. They, they continued to be people of faith. And as anybody, uh, out there knows, uh, uh, recovery programs are deeply spiritual. The the twelve steps, you know, include a reference to to God. Uh, you don't do this on your own, and uh, so faith was an important part of their recovery uh, as well. Uh, and uh, I admire my folks for that. Uh, I'm glad that they stayed plugged in despite their struggles. There is a contingency of people that avoid church because they see it. For the pretty or for the perfect people, when in all reality, we're all train wrecks in need of a savior, and we need to congregate together. The Bible calls us to fellowship with each other and encourage each other and build each other up. Well, I think, you know, part of that is is all the baggage we have around the concept of sin, for example, you know, that uh, uh, we're somehow as people of faith supposed to be people who have it all together and have stopped sinning. Uh, you know, my understanding of sin is is that it means simply that we're not perfect. Uh, the um, primary uh, word in the New Testament literally means to miss the mark in in the biblical Greek. Uh, you know, it'd be like uh, the uh, archers in the military in ancient times having target practice, and and when you don't hit the bullseye, you, you would say, "I sinned." I missed the mark. Uh, does anybody hit the bullseye every time? No. <laughs> you know, anybody who did, we would say, well, they're a perfect shot. And that, and that's my point, is that it simply means we, we are not perfect, never will be uh, in this life. Uh, and, and so that's always something we're working on. But, but uh, our faith relationship with the God of grace says uh, that, you know, God's got a hold on us, and 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 God loves us unconditionally. It's it's that's not going away. So you know, I I'm that's part of my heritage. Uh, the Lutheran Church is the historic Church of Grace uh, in, in in terms of that proclamation, uh, and uh, uh, it it hit home. Uh, it found it found its its root the, and grew in my family uh, with our struggles. Uh, and and uh, we just always felt like God was there for us. Uh, so growing up as a child in Pennsylvania, Captain Scott Dunphy, was there a point where your faith had to become your own versus going to church every Sunday with mom and dad? Yeah, and that wasn't in Pennsylvania. That came after we had moved to Arizona. Uh, and and I think it was at the point at which their alcoholism was was uh, debilitating for them. And as the oldest of of uh, four brothers and sisters, uh, church was my safe place. Church was the home away from home. Uh, you know, my confirmation pastor was kind of a surrogate father. Uh, other, you know, women in the church mothered us and my siblings. It was a place where we got good food and we got, you know, just unconditionally loved and accepted and and uh, so i'd be the one that got up and got my brothers and sisters up and got us ready because we were going to church on on sunday we wanted to get away from you know what was happening at home at that point uh and that was also in the day when there wasn't quite as much known about the concepts of intervention 
uh, and and church uh, being a place where people would have even had the knowledge to you know be intentional and in, in, in terms of, of some kind of uh, uh, attention to the to the kids under those circumstances. Plus, you know, we were there, so they said, "Oh, look, these nice kids coming to church." You know. So, Captain Scott Dunphy, U.S. Navy chaplain, do you believe that your experience growing up in Arizona and the community at this church that surrounded not only you but your siblings as well during your parents' rough season? Do you believe that's what eventually led you to become a pastor yourself? Oh, I'm sure it was a very big part of it. Uh, you know, seeing uh, the the pastor who who uh, I went through confirmation with, uh, 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 that relationship certainly. I, I looked at that and said, I want to do what he does. You know, uh, there came a point at which it was very clear to me that that was more than than uh, uh, just a desire to emulate somebody, but that the spirit was at work and all of that. And that God was calling me to do that. And I genuinely like the things that pastors do. Uh, so uh, people should enjoy their work. Uh, but, uh, certainly that was part of the foundation of it planted seeds. So I want to delve more into how it was for you becoming a young pastor for the first time, but let's flash forward to your life experience to, today and how does that help you out as a u.s navy chaplain uh well a surprising number of yeah there's a saying uh that 96 percent of all families are dysfunctional and i've never met anybody from the other four percent you know and and sometimes people shy away from that concept uh, of family dysfunction it just means that uh you know, there's challenges uh, of of one kind or another in, in almost all family systems. So, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be about alcoholism. And, and some uh, some addictions are more socially acceptable than others. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, the way that worked out in my life for a long time, I was what is often called a workaholic. Uh, you know, I was, uh, and plus I got to bless that uh, because of the work that I do, I could say, well, God, you know, wants me to do this. But there was a point at which uh, there was an intervention in, in my life uh, because uh, uh, I was ignoring uh, my family. I, I was giving myself to the work of the church and, you know, claiming it was God's work uh, as well, but to the detriment of uh, and well-being of my family. Uh, and uh, so I had to... Um, Actually, my, my wife and my daughter, who was in high school at that point, actually sat me down one day and said, you know, Dad, <laughs> you know, uh, we want you to be part of our lives. You know, uh, uh, and uh, uh, so balance, you know, was was important uh, to, to achieve that. So I would say I was, a you know, a, a workaholic in recovery for a long time. Uh, still easy to spill over into that. My point is that everybody's got something, mm. you know, that that they've got to got got to deal with and got to work on. That that usually involves the dynamic of needing to learn how to 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 let go and let God. Uh, I think that people in general, and, and in my opinion, often it's men more so than women gain their identity from their career, certainly. their business card, their position. Yeah. 
So in our last minute or so, do you believe it's even more extreme with people working in the ministry like you had? I think it can be. It certainly can be. Uh, but the flip side of that is, uh, uh, you know, I, I will retire from the Navy in about a year and a half. So I'll take this uniform off and hang it up and and never put it on again. Uh, when I retire for, uh, from the ministry in the sense of, of uh, no longer serving as a parish pastor, uh, which will be uh, later in my life, uh, uh, I, I don't retire from being ordained. You don't, you don't get unordained. <laughs> uh, and, Others have pointed out, too, that uh, the word retirement actually doesn't show up in Scripture to begin with. I don't know that we retire from service in that sense. But but it, it, but it all shifts and it becomes different. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, my identity, my primary identity is as a child of God. Uh, uh, and that comes to me in my, in my baptism, in my faith, not as a pastor or as a Navy chaplain. Uh, but I see this all the time when guys retire, especially, and they don't have a plan for, you know, what's next in my life. What's going to bring meaning and purpose to my life? What is God calling me to now? Some great insights from Captain Scott Dunphy of the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. He's also a pastor at St. Stephen Lutheran Church in Gladstone. And you can find out more about the Navy Chaplain Program online at navy.com slash chaplain. That's navy.com slash chaplain. More with Captain Scott Dunphy next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Mike Lee here with Captain Scott Dunphy, U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps and pastor at St. Stephen Lutheran Church, and that's in Gladstone. So, Captain Scott, thank you for joining us today and sharing a lot of your insights, not only on being a U.S. Navy chaplain, but also in being a pastor, being a husband, and being a father. I love the story that you mentioned about your wife and your then teenage daughter's intervention when it came to calling you out and how did you receive the message from your wife and your daughter that yes you are this holy man but they wanted dad they wanted some of the husband to be involved in their lives well you know i think on the one hand we resist and and i certainly did want to uh put my spin on that and say oh no 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 it's not like you know but uh i think uh sometimes god takes the human voices that we hear and puts those voices in our heart in a way that, you know, the spirit is, is speaking to you. Uh, and, and then there was a part where I could also acknowledge I was tired. You know, I, I was working too much. This isn't really the way God wanted me to function, uh, and to operate. Uh, and you know, it's like when Jesus says to the disciples, uh, we need to go away for a while. And rest, you know, uh, you've been working hard, uh, or or the whole concept of Sabbath uh, rest, or or the way that Jesus would, you know, party hardy. <laughs> In fact, they accused him, you know, of of being too much of a partier, uh, and and just having a, you know a good time, having downtime, being with people. It all, you know, started to shift for me, and uh, uh, and I went to. Uh, uh, some 12-step programs uh, myself and 
and partly it, the well, the whole workaholism thing it, it backed into uh, uh, a part where uh, I, as a pastor, I had a family uh, whose daughter uh, uh, was uh, really suffering from uh, substance abuse, uh, and uh, the father was a recovered alcoholic himself. Uh, and uh, they w- asked me to go with them to hear a speaker who had come to town, Claudia Black, uh, uh, who uh, was talking about uh, generational substance abuse and uh, adult children of alcoholics and what their struggles were. So as a good pastor, I went along to support them, and I listened to this speaker tell me all about myself, uh, and just turn me inside out. And so that kind of back to back with the with the intervention from my wife and daughter, you know, was one more way God was saying, "Okay, we we got some work to do, and and here's a road we need to travel down." Uh, so that I I went to twelve step programs uh, for adult children of alcoholics for many years and read things and and had therapy and you know worked on worked on all those issues. Uh, and made the spiritual connections as well because there are lots of them, uh, and eventually became part of of my ministry in that in that parish as well. That we started our own twelve step program. Nothing against the others; they all met at our church uh, uh, for all the different uh, issues. But we just wanted one where people could be more uh, overt or or open if they wanted to name their higher power as God in Christ, and if they wanted to be able to use the good book as well as the big book uh, in their recovery. Uh, And so it was for anybody who wanted to work the 12 steps for any reason, uh, because they are so profoundly spiritual. Uh, And we ran that program for for many years. Uh, So it's part of how God redeems everything and uses everything. How wonderful it is for you, Captain Scott Dunphy, that here you were trying to be a good pastor, going to this meeting for effectively your client in this woman and her dad, and yet God used that to bring healing to you and maybe dig up some skeletons that you needed to exercise Mm -hmm. to advance yourself. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think that's often how God operates. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier when... uh, you know, you talked about how some folks have this idea that people of faith are perfect and they have it all together, uh, is that, uh, uh, you know, uh, God uses our wounds uh, not only to bring us healing, but to bring healing to others. In fact, that's maybe kind of what completes the loop is when, when some of my brokenness is healed uh, but then some of my brokenness becomes part of the healing of others. It, it's been redeemed, and I, you know, then it's like, okay, God, you're amazing. <laughs> I, I see what you're doing. Well, I think it's bad enough that it's easy for anyone to fall into workaholism when we find something that is profitable or valuable or something that we enjoy. And at other times, our workplace is where we get affirmation frequently. Mm-hmm. So in, in a sense, it's easier to go to work on some fronts than it is to deal with the everyday dealings of family, which are often harder and at times rougher around the edges and uglier to deal with, but they're necessities. So I would imagine that if it's easy enough to become a workaholic, it's got to be even more so in the military. And 
throw in ministry on top of that. That's got to be difficult for you, Captain Scott Dunphy and the U.S. Navy, to try to figure out who's going to be a good candidate for the chaplaincy, who's going to find that balance and be able to execute it in a way that he or she can be a blessing to those around. Well, and not just for uh, military chaplaincy, but I think for all the folks in our military, uh, especially when you're serving uh, overseas or in combat situations, I mean, you're on duty 24 uh, seven. Yeah, we do what we can to have some downtime, but but it's pretty it's pretty intense, and and we have, you know, our, our folks are amazing in terms of what they are able to endure and sacrifice and give and do. But that is also part of the ministry of the chaplain uh, is to watch for and and go in to the CO and and say, Skipper, you know, I think we need to. Uh, find a way to give folks a break, uh, uh, but sometimes you're in situations where that's where that's not possible. So you you find ways to support people, uh, and uh, uh, our folks are amazingly resilient. Uh, you know they're incredibly dedicated, uh, and we can't ever thank people who are in those kind of situations enough for what they do. Uh, that's for sure. So speaking of downtime, how does Captain Scott Dunphy? relax <laughs> hobbies interests things that allow you to to turn off the titles uh well i play a little golf uh not very good at it because i don't probably play enough uh so that's certainly a piece i love uh gardening i just love getting my hands dirty and and uh, uh i have about 24 rose bushes in my yard uh that i tend to uh it's wonderful living uh in the northwest where uh Roses grow and flourish like that, uh, and I, I live in an old historic house, uh, and uh, it's about a century old, and that always takes a lot of work that I enjoy enjoy doing. I love history, uh, like to poke around in antique stores, uh, and uh, uh, I I love uh, all things Celtic. Uh, it, it's a, a passion of mine because it's my heritage i'm scotch irish but uh, uh will you share a little about about celtic spirituality well i became interested in that on a sabbatical some years ago to scotland and ireland uh and i've been back a few times and continue to read and it's not just spirituality but the whole culture uh everything uh about it uh, uh i think there's a uh well I don't know how far we want to go in, go into this, but uh, it all starts, you know, with the story of St. Patrick uh, in Ireland. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's another redemption story. Patrick was, was uh, uh, captured by pirates and sold into slavery uh, and then escaped about five or six years later. And, uh, and then God called to him to go back uh, uh, to those who had been his captors and 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 his uh, uh, tormentors, uh, and share the gospel with them, uh, and then we have this fact that uh, after uh, close to fifty or sixty years of ministry in Ireland, when Patrick finally died, uh, most of the population of, of of the island had come to the faith. Uh, I don't know any other place in the history of Christianity where uh, a, in, in a missionary's lifetime they saw uh, 
the indigenous people that they were working with all come to faith. Uh, so that's what kind of what got me fascinated and got me hooked. What was it about the way that was done? And, and part of it is that, uh, Patrick built bridges. Uh, Patrick, uh, uh, recognized that people were already deeply spiritual to begin with. It was kind of like Paul on Mars Hill. I see that you're a, a, a very spiritual people. Uh, and, uh, part of it was a radical kind of hospitality. You know, there's a, there's a classic way that we present the faith sometimes. If you take the three concepts of uh, believing, behaving, and belonging. And the Western way, for the most part, is to say, uh, well, first you, you believe what we believe, and then you change your behavior, and once that's done, then you get to belong. Okay, and once in a while, the behaving and the believing piece are flipped. Sometimes behavior even comes first. You know, this is what you, how you need to clean up your act and get it together, and then believe. And Patrick flipped that totally, and invited people to belong for whatever reason they wanted to be part of the community. There were no cities in Ireland at that point, except for these these religious communities that were being established. Uh, and people could come and be part for what, whatever reason they wanted to. Maybe it was safety in numbers to keep away from the Vikings. Uh, you know, maybe it was uh, uh, economic because this is an opportunity to trade. Maybe it was because, you know, here's a place to get some food. Uh, you know, what, whatever it was. Uh, and, and, oh, by the way, the core group uh, who are people of faith are going to continue to practice that faith. And, uh, and if you want to be part of it, great. So people belonged. Uh, they came to believe that's a process, that's a journey. And, and then Patrick said, and we're never going to get this behaving thing perfectly right, but we'll keep working on it. Some great insight from Captain Scott Dunphy of the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. More with Captain Scott next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Thanks for joining Difference Makers on True Talk 800. We are sitting with Captain Scott Dunphy of the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. Whether you're a student in a Master of Divinity program or already serving your first calling in spiritual leadership, the Navy offers full and also part-time opportunities. If you'd like more information, you can call 877-6-GO-NAVY. That's 877-6-GO-NAVY and make a global difference, as has this pastor, Captain Scott Dunphy. So, Scott, what struck you most about St. Patrick's story? Well, I think it's what I'd call radical hospitality. Uh, that, that piece, as I said, where people were invited to belong, they were welcomed, regardless of where they were on that path or that journey of coming to believe uh, and and that then the behaving piece is something we're always working on and we're, we're never going to get down you know perfectly perfectly pat or right uh, but that's that's the amazing grace you know that that, that, that we talk about uh, and uh, it obviously had had amazing results uh, in in the history uh, where I say all those folks came to the faith uh, in his own lifetime. Uh, I think maybe the church could learn something from that today, uh, here and now, uh, that we could, we could Im- 
find the ways to incarnate uh, that radical hospitality and that extend that gracious welcome to, to everyone, that truly everyone's welcome. So, Captain Scott Dunphy, is this a radical heart that you have that has helped you bring this idea throughout your travels with the U.S. Navy, serving oh, I, as a chaplain? I, I think so, uh, certainly, uh, uh, and, and, and as well as kind of a sense of wondering what God is up to in all these different situations when I travel and, and to say, you know, sometimes we think we are the ones who are bringing God to others when sometimes we're going to meet God <laughs> when we go uh, out uh, on these adventures. And, you know, my tours in the Navy have taken me a lot of places in the world, uh, uh, Japan, uh, Guam, uh, throughout the, the United States uh, and most recently a year in Afghanistan. Uh, and, uh, 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 yeah, I think, well, talk about radical hospitality, the way I was welcomed by Afghans, uh, and, and uh, it, it's truly amazing. Uh, Christmas uh, of 2014, uh, I'm in Afghanistan, uh, you know, far from home, obviously. At that point, I had become friends with uh, two brothers, uh, uh, Salim and Mirwaz, both devout Muslims uh, who ran a carpet shop just outside the gates of NATO headquarters. Uh, a few days before Christmas, they came to me and they said, we know that Christmas is a time for family uh, and you are far from your, your family. Let us be your family. Let us make you uh, a traditional Afghan meal and you come and eat with us on Christmas. Well, for, first he had asked me, you know, what are you going to do after you do all your services on Christmas? And I said, well, I'm probably going to take a nap, but, you know, he says, you can sleep anytime. Come eat, you know. Then he comes back to me, Mirwaz does, the day before Christmas and said, you know, uh, I shouldn't and just cook for, for one. Why don't you invite 10 of your best friends to come uh, share that Christmas meal uh, with you? <laughs> so the day before Christmas, running around, uh, so there are these two Muslim men hosting uh, a dozen, uh, and it was an international gathering of, of representatives of the NATO countries in terms of the, the soldiers and some of the, the civilian State Department people that I ended up inviting, sitting in their carpet shop, uh, uh, having the most incredible meal. And, uh, uh, and uh, uh, Salim has 12 children. Um, and, uh, uh, so we put together Christmas stockings for all of his kids and brought those and said, now this is what we do in our country. If you can accept these gifts, you know, and oh, they were very glad for all that. But I remember there was one point in the, in the meal together where, uh, Mirwaz says, uh, uh, well, I don't know that much about Christmas, but if this is Christmas and he looks around at everyone, he says, I hope, I, I wish it was Christmas every day because we have peace right here in this moment. Uh, you know, it didn't matter that we were all different faiths, different uh, ethnic groups, different, you know, <laughs> talk about, you know, peace on earth. <laughs> we had it that moment in the middle of Afghanistan on Christmas Day. What a great memory from Captain Scott Dunphy of the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. So uh, tell us what skills 
what soft skills, what qualities, traits is the Navy looking for when it comes to a candidate for the chaplaincy? Well, you need to understand that to serve as a Navy chaplain, you serve as the chaplain to every person in uniform, uh, regardless of their religious beliefs or you know that the, the, they've checked the nun box that you know they have no religious beliefs uh, and so when you cannot provide the pastoral care and support that someone needs for whatever reason then you need to be able to facilitate the provision of that and you need to be comfortable doing that with groups that uh, certainly may be different uh, than your own uh, but also may be uh, those who have beliefs that you disagree with. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, unless you're comfortable uh, in an ecumenical kind of interfaith uh, uh, environment, uh, you know, you're not, uh, I, 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 there are times and places when I conduct services that are representative of my faith and my faith group. And then there are other times when I need to put that uh, on the back burner and say, uh, you know, from my faith tradition, it might be the f- first person of the Trinity, uh, 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 God as creator, that we, we all have the same creator, and that's going to be enough uh, for me to be able to minister in in this situation. Uh, and obviously then people who have flexibility, uh, who are, uh, are able to endure, uh, you know, hardships in certain situations, uh, uh Creative folks we're looking for, people with a good sense of humor. Uh, you have to have a certain degree of physical health, and you have to be able to maintain that. You have to pass the Navy and Marine Corps physical readiness test uh, to get in, and you have to continue to do that twice a year for as long as you serve. Uh, uh, so I, I mean, that would be my my take on it. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Scott Dunphy of St. Stephen Lutheran Church in Gladstone, who also serves as Captain Scott Dunphy, U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps. If you'd like to find out more information, check out the website navy.com slash chaplain. You can also like U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps on Facebook. And if you'd like to find out more about Pastor Scott's church, it's St. Stephen Lutheran just east of Mazda of Gladstone on McLaughlin in Gladstone with a traditional service at 9 a.m. Sunday and a contemporary Sunday service at 11.15 a.m. St. Stephen Lutheran is known for its large music ministry, its healing ministry, work with the homeless and justice issues and inclusivity. And again, if you'd like to find out more about the U.S. Navy Chaplain Corps, check out the website navy.com slash chaplain. That's navy.com slash chaplain. Captain Scott Dunphy, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights with us. You're very welcome. And thank you, friends, for joining us on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.